All right, Trinity Church, that voice, Jeff McNair was uh, speaking last weekend, did an amazing job talking about God's sovereignty in the midst of challenging times, which we all can relate to, and even how to be there for people who are struggling with God's sovereignty in their lives, and just did an amazing job. We're so grateful for Jeff and just a great job he did last week. It's a privilege to get to be with you today. We are wrapping up the teaching part of our armed series that we've been in, and uh, we're glad to get to be with you. I loved how Michael said today, online and online. So it's great to see you uh, either way this morning. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. If you have a Bible, you might want to make your way there to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, remember, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the New Testament. If you can't find any of those four books, that is not helpful. But anyways, if you want to find your way there, the last part of the last chapter is what we're going to be looking in. What may also be helpful is if you go to our app, you'll find the notes that are there today to be able to track with us, and that hopefully will be helpful as well. I mentioned this is the last part of our series related to the teaching aspect. Next week, we're going to come together. and What we've done a few times at Trinity, we've called it a series response service. And we're real excited about the pieces that are coming together for that, including our good friend Justin Unger is going to be here to lead worship with us. And it's just going to be a great time. Just kind of, God, what have you taught us? And not just hearing from someone, but getting to hear from each other. So come prepared next Sunday online, online, and uh, it'll be great. Uh, let me tell you about one other thing related to our church app. If you have that open, you'll notice that the very top thing is something we've been talking about that we are so excited about. Actually, it's a couple things down. Uh, and that is um, uh, our, I'm sorry, let me find it because I'm actually thinking of two things we're going to talk about today. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is our Thanksgiving a resource that we have been working on. I can't thank him enough. Carrie Van Loon hates it when I mention his name, but Carrie Van Loon has done a great job helping take these video segments of something that you're going to hear from our own Trinity Church family about ways that they are thankful and grateful to God. This resource is on the front page of our website. You can access it through our app. And I got to tell you, this is something we are so excited about. I've seen the final cut. It is so well done. But beyond it being well done, our hope is that it's a catalyst, a, a great discussion starter for your Thanksgiving gathering. And so it's available as of now. We know for some of you, you're going out of town and you don't really get to control who, what happens in that gathering. You're at someone else's home. So we wanted to make that available to you even at the beginning of this week. So if you want to partake in it and, and use it as a resource for your family, maybe before you travel, it's available. If you're hosting a gathering, we would encourage you to use it in that form as well. And we would just, and the great thing is it's meant to be stop the video have a conversation with those around you, start the video again. So it's very much an interactive reality and even gives you a prompt to engage with people who aren't in your gathering in that moment. So we are so excited about it. We are not gathering physically on Thanksgiving Eve on this Wednesday like we have so traditionally, but we put this resource available to you all throughout the week and we'd encourage you to use it and I think you're really gonna be blessed by it. So I'm grateful for all the work that's gone into uh, getting that developed. So I'll pull you back to our app in a little bit because there's another piece on there that I want to tell you about for this week. Well, what we've been doing in this armed series is we have been looking at the spiritual armor mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. 
And as we have week over week, we've been asking this question, who is the enemy? Because we are fighting a battle. Before the pandemic began, and even after the pandemic, or if the pandemic is ever over, we will still be in a spiritual battle. And Paul writes to us, and he reminds us that our enemy is not each other. We are not each other's enemies. And even people who might be our governing officials or people who are just really challenging in your life are not your enemies. Your enemy is God's enemy, none other than Satan himself, who loves to steal, kill, and destroy what God loves most, and that's you. And so as we've taken on this series, we've seen again and again, maybe through new lenses, that Ephesians 6, the armor of God, we saw every single verb in this last part of Ephesians 6 is a y'all, a second person plural. And we've maybe heard for the first time that we were never meant to engage spiritual battle by ourselves. Though there is a responsibility that each one bring to it that we would be equipped, it's a calling to y'all of us that we all engage in spiritual battle together. And so as we finish off the teaching part of this series today, we're going to see in this final part of the passage, looking at a final piece of armor, a final resource that God gives us, and it's that of prayer, this great ability to communicate and to call upon God's power. So look at our now what statement today. As we engage in spiritual battle, pray for our unity as we face our enemy together. As we engage in spiritual battle, pray for our unity as we face our enemy together. If you're taking notes, number one, we engage in spiritual battle together when we pray for one another. We engage in spiritual battle together when we pray for one another. If your Bibles are open to Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So we finish up this sequence of talking about the, the armor of God. Interestingly enough, prayer is not likened to a particular piece of armor, like a helmet or a shield, but instead is just kind of mentioned. And, and we realize kind of all the way through this series, the way that we are armed, the, the way that we re-equip ourselves daily is really through this avenue of prayer, not only in communication, but in calling upon God, asking him for his armor, his resources, as we go into every day. So it just makes so much sense that we would finish with this idea of prayer. It's the main way by which we communicate with our commander, but, but also how we call upon his power and might in the midst of the battles that we fight. So we'll see today how prayer has always been a resource to engage God when we face the enemy. Paul in this part, beginning of verse 18, he directs the Ephesian Christians to pray in or according to his spirit, 
So in alignment with God's spirit. And then with superlatives, uh, in terms of when, how, how long, and for whom we ought to pray. If you can see the screen or if you're looking at your notes, listen to this great commentary by John Stott. This is what he says. We are to pray at all times, both regularly and constantly, with all prayer and supplication, for it takes many and varied forms, with all perseverance, because we need like good soldiers to keep alert, making supplication for all the saints, since the unity of God's new society, which has been the preoccupation of this whole letter of Ephesians, must be reflected in our prayers. Most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people, but to replace some by all in each of these expressions would be to introduce us to a new dimension of prayer. I mean, that was just so well done. I just wanted to quote him because he just summarized that part of how we're called, how Paul is calling upon us to pray in all these different formats for all these different types of people. And put it this way, whether your prayers are exhaustive, that you've prayed for everyone at one time, just know whoever you're praying for fits under that umbrella. And that God has called us to more and more. I love how he talks about that, a new dimension of prayer. Paul extends his request for their prayers to those for him as well. He asked them, would you please pray for me? That there would be words given to him, demonstrating this great dependence upon God, that he would fearlessly make known the gospel, not that he would just have a good defense for debates he would be in. He identifies himself as an ambassador for the gospel, though in chains, meaning, God, I might have picked a whole different relational world to be in, but you've given me Rome's guards. You've given me the household of Caesar we read about in Philippians chapter four. This is the relational world you put me in, not the one I would have chosen, but the one you've dropped me in nonetheless. So I'm going to be present and I'm going to be here as your ambassador. And again, prayer that he would declare the gospel fearlessly as he should. That's a different version of the same word that he begins to ask God for, relying upon God to make him brave and bold when opportunities to share the good news with Jesus, of Jesus with others arise. Now, I think that's just an amazing thing to pray for. An amazing thing to ask these Ephesian Christians, would you pray for me that I would be this kind of ambassador for Jesus, though in chains? And I look at that and I'm just so blown away when I read it because I'm thinking this, if I'm Paul and I'm asking the Ephesian Christians for prayer, guess what I'm praying for? Lord, get me out of here. Lord, I want this to change. Lord, free me, get me out of prison so I can be effective like I wanna be. Simple question for you this morning, can you relate? You see, we might not be able to relate to being in a Roman jail in the bottom of a dungeon and only interacting with these uh, Roman guards or people from Caesar's household, but many of us have been incredibly isolated. Many of us have lived in so many layers of frustration and angst. Let me replace that with many of us to all of us. And interestingly enough, think about the things you and I have been praying for. God, make it stop. God, make it normal. Whatever that means, make it normal again. I was so convicted when I was reading this prayer this week. Paul said, God, help me be present in what I'm in versus God, make it change. 
And I'm surely not saying that to you like judgy. I'm looking in the mirror. This is how I've been praying. God, change these circumstances. Get us out from underneath this cloud. And I'm convicted when I read Paul's prayer and say, this is how he prayed. Lord, as long as you have me here, help me. Help me to be bold and a powerful source of Jesus' influence in my world in these specific circumstances, not the context that I would hope for instead. But it really hits home for me because I think of the kind of prayers I've been praying. Lord, I don't like it like this. Change my circumstances in context ASAP, and I don't know how to be a source of Jesus' influence in other people's lives when I'm barely hanging on myself. That seems to be about where I've been at. I don't know about you, but I read this and I go, God, I want to have a heart. I want to have an attitude. I want to have a disposition like Paul's where I go, Lord, help me simply be present where I am and how the circumstances are that I cannot control. And I want to be your ambassador. Paul presents a wartime prayer request. He gets it, right? Paul's very much aware. He's just been writing in the idea of spiritual battle. So these are wartime prayers. And he's praying not for a change of circumstances, but a change of perspective where we see like this series has shown us. And if you look in your notes, we are in the midst of spiritual battle during this pandemic. And the goal is not back to normal, but to be an ambassador on purpose. We have been in spiritual battle during the pandemic. And the goal is not that we pray, God, make it back to normal. God, would we be ambassadors on purpose? Because watch this, as you and I are aching and hurting and feeling all kinds of things you maybe never felt in your life before, so is an unbelieving world that God has supernaturally, strategically placed you among. That's not to say that we don't have problems and issues, but in the midst of our challenges, God, help me be an ambassador to the people around me. I don't want to give up that part of my role because things are hard. And today we'll see that prayer is one of the greatest resources we have. I love how Michael started our time today. We are weak people. That's the great news. We get to go to God in prayer because he is strong. Number two in your notes today, biblically, prayer is demonstrated as an essential resource for spiritual battle. Prayer is demonstrated throughout the Bible as an essential resource for spiritual battle. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. This is really all where this begins. I'm not going to go to God in prayer and seeking his help, seeking his resources, if I don't first believe in his goodness, if I first don't believe in his faithfulness, if I first don't believe that he can protect me. It begins with that understanding of what God has said clearly in his word. And then out of that, I begin to rely upon him more and more. That, that's really where that begins to happen. When we're convinced of this, we're moved to prayer because prayer demonstrates at its foundation reliance and dependence upon the resources of God. If you're taking notes, this is why so many of us struggle with prayer. For so many of us, we would say, God, there's parts of my walk with you that are strong. I love Bible study. I love serving. I love um, being someone who engages my gifts. I love being someone who is able to disciple others. But prayer is hard. And for you, the biggest reason prayer is hard is for this reason. We want to do it ourselves and attempt to deal with the challenges that we face and fix our problems with our resources rather than relying on God for his. 
prayer by its nature is an act of humility. It's saying, God, I can't, so God, would you? God, I can't, so God, would you? It just re it reminds us of that right out of the gates of why we pray and what prayer is all about. So what I want to do today, I'm going to have some, I want to have some fun with you. I want you to see all throughout scripture in all these different kinds of cases, Old Testament through the New, that people relied upon God in the midst of spiritual battle. This doesn't first just kind of pop up in Ephesians 6. We see it all the way back, and I want to go, we could go further back, but at least to the time of the judges. If you look at the screen or in your notes from Judges 16, 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me, please God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. This is probably one of my favorite flannel graphs of all time, right? I grew up in Sunday school in the 70s and 80s, and I can still remember, you know, the, the pushing and the, uh, it's pretty horrible to make a graphic for kids to look at with guys with his eyes gouged out, but I remember that too. And so Samson, what's interesting about Samson, we don't have any record that he ever talked to God, ever prayed to God while he had his eyes, while he had his strength, while he was the judge of Israel. But in this moment of incredible depletion, he was, quote, made human again without this supernatural power. But in that place of great depletion, what does he do? God, would you please just once more? Now, we've maybe heard the story of Samson before and thought, well, here's a guy who is asking about physical strength so he can have revenge on people that have done this to him. But I would put back to you the spiritual battle that was going on this was a group of Philistines who were incredibly bent on destroying God's people. They were pawns in the hand of Satan that he was using to bring God's people under constant persecution. So see the, the lens of spiritual battle even within that context. From the time of the judges to the time of the kings, 2 Samuel 15, 31. Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. This is, a, I've been having this great opportunity to be reading selected chapters of the Bible with a reading group on Thursday mornings. And we just read about this this last week. David's lowest low point on the backside of his sin with Bathsheba and every, we just talked about the rock in the pond of how many people were affected by his sinfulness. And David would be the most affected because in that God says to him, I'm not gonna take your life though you've been guilty of murder. However, I am going to cause one from your own family to rise up and to try to usurp your throne and humiliate you in public. This was part of the consequences for what David had done. And it happens from his own son, Absalom. And as he hears about what's going on, he hears that one of his former counselors, one of David's own men, Ahithophel, had turned sides and joined up with Absalom. So what does he do? He prays to God, God, would you turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness? And the interesting thing is, Ahithophel gave Absalom great counsel, but it was Absalom's other counselors that told him that was hogwash, and he ended up doing something completely different, which led to his own demise. Now, is David simply praying, God, there's mutiny afoot, save my position, or would Satan have loved 
to thwart the promise that God gave to David, how one from his own line would sit on his throne throughout all of time, ultimately being the line of Messiah, who wasn't going to come through Absalom, but through Solomon. David prays, God, would you do this thing on my behalf? Now to the prophets, 2 Kings 6. This one's such one of my favorite all-time narratives. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of chariots, uh, horses, I'm sorry, and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. So Elisha's here, he's over, they're overwhelmed. The Arameans are on the march. There's this huge army and his servant is freaking out like you and I would. Elisha, we're doomed. And Elisha prays, God, help my servant see what I can see. And God opens his eyes and the hills are filled with horses and chariots of fire. This is, God is here. His armies are present. His authorities are gonna be in control. But the interesting thing is they never get called upon. They're this, just there to demonstrate that God is among us. And Elisha then prays a second prayer. God, strike this army with blindness. They all go blind. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really heard of that military tactic before. God, make the whole other army not even be able to see anything. So is this an example of spiritual battle? How else could it not be? Right, God, Elisha's calling upon God's supernatural resources to defend his people in a powerful way. Even going on to governors, I love this, from Nehemiah 6.9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. This is Nehemiah. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love this prayer. I utter it often. Nehemiah has been brought back to Jerusalem, a city that has been completely in ruins. And before they even touch the city, they realize we need walls. We've got to have a defensive barrier between our neighbors. And so that's what Nehemiah's task was, was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so while they're back, they have neighboring people who are intimidating and just absolutely making the, the, difficult, the, the challenge so much more difficult than it is with their taunting and their, their intimidation. So as a result, Nehemiah says, Lord, in the middle of all this, what does he pray in this case? He doesn't even ask the Lord to do anything to those people. He just says, Lord, strengthen my hands. I call this an arrow prayer. And there have been times in my life a lot recently where I have just said, Lord, please strengthen my hands. Lord, I want to give up. Lord, it's hard. Lord, this is an area of perseverance I just don't have enough in the tank for. Lord, strengthen my hands. And this is a great example about calling upon God. Was rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem a spiritual endeavor? I don't know, but Nehemiah sure thought so. God, I need your help. I need your help to finish what is a big deal for our city to be safe. Then we look to Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jeff did a great job of talking about this passage last week as one of the ways that the disciples could have been such an incredible support. When Jesus was struggling with the sovereignty of God, Jesus knows what's going to happen next. And he's crying out to God for strength, crying out for even initially, God, if there's any other way, man, I'm voting for that. Right? And I want you to know, if you've been praying that prayer, God, if there's any other way, that's not the most ungodly of prayers. Jesus prayed that. But once God had made it clear, the Father made it clear, there was no other way. Jesus said, not my will, but yours. And in that space, when Jesus is at his most challenging hour, I think you could say, apart from when Jesus, we looked at a couple weeks ago, when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan himself, this is the only kind of spiritual battle that probably eclipsed that is when he is moments away from being arrested and he's going to go to the cross. And remember, what he bears at the cross is much more than the physical torture of what the cross meant. He bore the spiritual torture of becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So in Jesus's greatest hour of need, he resorts to the resource of prayer. And then we think about for us in the age of the church, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Probably the only other passage where Paul speaks so much about spiritual battle is this one, other than Ephesians 6, is here in 2 Corinthians 10. And he tells them that there's a very real thing called spiritual battle. We are in a war and that they're to use spiritual weapons that exert divine power to demolish strongholds. We just sang about that earlier today. I can see strongholds coming down. How do they do that? Through spiritual areas of, of armament, through prayer. Look at the last comment in this passage, one that I use often to remind myself and others I'm talking with. I don't know if I've ever linked it to spiritual battle until I reread it this week, that we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The battle for our minds, not only how we think, but what we think about is indeed a spiritual battle. And we're to be engaged prayerfully, asking God, God, this thought, I've, we've said it before, I don't think I can control flashing thoughts that go through my brain, but I absolutely am responsible for what I dwell upon. When I allow a thought just to sit and simmer and crock pot in my mind, that's on me. Take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. What does Paul say with imperative verbs in Philippians? Whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is noble, think on these things. Let your mind dwell on these, not others. 
So I'm responsible for that. And that's part of spiritual battle. This book I have recommended to you through most of the series. I absolutely love it. If you're thinking of, I would like some more just understanding of what spiritual battle is about. It's so well balanced. It's called Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture. And this is a quote from it today about this incredible resource of prayer. The church cannot fulfill her calling apart from the power of God. And prayer is the primary means to live in that power. Prayer is both a confession of dependence upon God and a cry for relationship with him, a means by which we grow in him. The healthy church must therefore not neglect this critical purpose of the church, particularly when persecution is one of our enemy's tools to try to devour the people of God. Timely words, powerful words to remind us of our need for prayer. A quote that I mention often, I wanted to say it even earlier today, but it's in this whole vein. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Why would I keep trusting my own resources, my own wisdom, my own discernment when I can call upon the creator of the universe, almighty God, God, would you please? That's the resource that we're called and rightly so should keep tapping of what we need to move forward. All throughout scripture, as we've seen, we see people crying out to God, calling on his power through the mode of prayer. And here's a powerful thing. This resource is every bit available to you. In the very same way it was for all these different individuals and people that we've been looking at throughout scripture, still available to you. The very same God who did those things invites you to call upon him. So I wanna to finish today by seeing how Jesus prayed for us. Finally today, number three, Jesus prayed for our unity as it's key to our mission in the midst of spiritual battle. Jesus prayed for our unity as it's key to our mission in the midst of spiritual battle. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Them, uh, them would be his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. I hope you know that here recorded in John 17, Jesus prayed for you. Hours before he was going to the cross for you, Jesus prayed for us. That is a powerful thing to stop and think about, that if you've ever wondered how much Jesus cares, he actually prayed for the people like you and me who would come to faith because of the disciples' testimony. 2,000 years later, we're a part of that ongoing people who have put our faith in Jesus because of what we've heard passed down to us from God's word and from others who've been influential in our lives. That's amazing. Jesus prayed for us before he went to the cross for us. But I want you to note, and you can see this in your notes, see that this prayer is more than sentimental. It's more than just, oh, how neat, but it, that it has a request mainly of one thing, our unity. 
See that this prayer in John 17 is much more than sentimental, but it has a request of mainly one thing, that of our unity. And note that it's not unity for unity's sake, but it's unity for the sake of the gospel. There are a couple of phrases, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus prayed that an unbelieving world would see, not just here, uh, here, over here, here, but they would see in the way that we walk in unity, the way we walk in love for one another, they would see the gospel lived out. And that would cause them to want to know what, are the, what is this group of people about? The more diverse, the more unique, the more at times polarized people of God who come together and say, hey, there's a lot of things that maybe we don't have in common, but what we have in common is the most important thing, Jesus himself. And it's in that unity an unbelieving world would be attracted and want to know what is this people about? You see, we make much about our mission. We believe it's something that we have to keep in front of us because we don't want to lose perspective. It's even incorporated in one of our core values. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. We think that's so important at Trinity Church. But what if we first embrace Jesus' strategy re-emphasized by Paul earlier in this book of Ephesians before anything else? That we make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I can't tell you, even this week, literally this week, I've heard multiple stories of people who have said, as they watch the body of Christ care for one another and walk in unity, it's been winsome to an unbelieving world. This passage has taken life just this week in two or three separate stories that I've heard alone. This is what Jesus was talking about and this is what Jesus prayed for. And by the way, I want you to know this, Jesus isn't done praying for you. Look at this great truth from Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died more than that was raised to life is at the right hand of God, watch this, and is also interceding for us. Jesus is still praying for us. And so what I'm excited about is the opportunity that we're gonna have this next week to join him. We're finishing up this series about spiritual battle, engaging in it together. And we finish up this passage dealing with this powerful communication resource called prayer. And it seems that it would be absolutely silly to just talk about prayer and not pray. So this is what we're excited to do. On behalf of the leaders of Trinity Church, our elders, our directional team, our pastors and our directors. I wanna invite you this next week to pray and fast with us. And we are so excited as a church family to invite you to be a part of what God wants among us. And that is so clearly seen in scripture, our unity as we engage in spiritual battle together. Let me tell you how you can find out about this. First off on our app is what I was looking at earlier today and totally brained it like, what am I thinking of? At the very top is a graphic. I appreciate Chris Patnock's done such a great job putting this together. It's our series graphic and right underneath it, it says Thanksgiving week prayer and fasting. If you click on that, then what you're gonna see is it's gonna take you to our website 
And there's some multiple ways you can either download a PDF. Every day on our social media is going to be the new prayer prompt. And throughout it, we've even adopted a new app that for some of you already use and some of our staff already do called Prayer Mate. Prayer Mate. And Prayer Mate has a unique Trinity Church specific prayer prompt for every day this week. And this is what we're doing. Some of you would go, Todd, what an interesting week to fast the week of Thanksgiving. That seems very odd to me. This is going to be an incredible spiritual exercise. Well, let me tell you, first off, on Thursday, we want you to pray and feast. Don't miss a meal. Feast well. It's, many of us will go, hey, Todd, if there's one day I'm going to participate, it's going to be Thursday. That's great. But what we've done is we've looked at the biblical prayers, prayers of Jesus, what we call the Lord's Prayer. This prayer, John 17, Paul in Ephesians 3, Paul in Colossians 1, and a couple others I'm not remembering right now. We, we've put one a day for you to use as a prayer prompt to pray over the scriptural prayer. There's a, a Thanksgiving component every day as well, knowing that we're in this week of Thanksgiving. And our hope would be that you would join us by maybe skipping a meal and in that time, devoting that time to prayer. And every one of these prayers keeps coming back to you. God, would you? Would you do a work among us at Trinity Church? Your desire is for our unity. Would these prayers keep leaning in? God, we need you to be your people. We're completely relying upon you. Now, I want you to hear this for what it is. I've learned in four years at Trinity Church, sometimes when we make these kinds of invitations, we can be a guilt-based people. Todd, this week, I can't participate every day. I'm a loser, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I would love for you to invite you in to participate as many times as you can. Some of you have dietary restrictions where if you fast, you go into a coma. Not a good idea, okay? Don't do that. And others of you want to claim that this week. That's okay too. But either way, I would love for you to be praying for the people of Trinity Church with us this week. Our leaders have said, we're gonna do this. And I wanna encourage you, everything you need is on our website. Everything you need is on our app. Everything you need is on our daily social media posts. Everything you need is on the Prayer Mate prayer app. And I would just say, let's take away all those excuses and say, God, this week, and if you come back next Sunday and you participated three or four days, we're going to do cartwheels. Don't let it be a thing of works orientation that if you don't do all six days, you're a failure. No one's saying that. I would just invite you because here's a big, I'm a big fan of this statement. Something is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing. So this week, I want to encourage you, join us. Let's do the most fitting response to this series. Let's engage in spiritual battle by praying for God's unity among us that we would engage together. Here's our now what statement. It's up on the screen. It's something I want you to meditate upon as we finish at our time today. As we engage in spiritual battle, pray for our unity as we face our enemy together. We're gonna leave that up on the screen. We're gonna give you a couple minutes to just pray either with who you came with today or just by yourself. And then we'll pull you back. We'll finish with a song.